This is Chapter Three of Those Extraordinary Twins. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Those Extraordinary Twins by Mark Twain. Chapter Three. Angelo is blue. After breakfast, the whole village crowded in, and there was a grand reception in honor of the twins. And at the close of it, the gifted freak captured everybody's admiration by sitting down at the piano and knocking out a classic four-handed piece in great style. Then the judge took it, or them, driving in his buggy, and showed off his village. All along the streets, the people crowded the windows and stared at the amazing twins. Troops of small boys flocked after the buggy, excited and yelling. At first, the dogs showed no interest. They thought they merely saw three men in a buggy, a matter of no consequence. But when they found out the facts of the case, they altered their opinion pretty radically and joined the boys, expressing their minds as they came. Other dogs got interested. Indeed, all the dogs. It was a spirited sight to see them come leaping fences, tearing around corners, swarming out of every by street and alley. The noise they made was something beyond belief or praise. They did not seem to be moved by malice, but only by prejudice, the common human prejudice against lack of conformity. If the twins turned their heads, they broke and fled in every direction, but stopped at a safe distance and faced about, and then formed and came on again as soon as the strangers showed them their back. Negroes and farmers' wives took to the woods when the buggy came upon them suddenly, and altogether the drive was pleasant and animated, and a refreshment all around. It was a long and lively drive. Angelo was a Methodist, Luigi was a free thinker. The judge was very proud of his Freethinkers Society, which was flourishing along in a most prosperous way, and already had two members, himself and the obscure and neglected Puddenhead Wilson. It was to meet that evening, and he invited Luigi to join, a thing which Luigi was glad to do, partly because it would please himself, and partly because it would gravel Angelo. They had now arrived at the widow's gate, and the excursion was ended. The twins politely expressed their obligations for the pleasant outing which had been afforded them, to which the judge bowed his thanks, and then said he would now go and arrange for the freethinkers' meeting, and would call for Count Luigi in the evening. "'For you also, dear sir,' he added hastily, turning to Angelo and bowing, "'in addressing myself particularly to your brother, I was not meaning to leave you out. It was an unintentional rudeness, I assure you, and due wholly to accident.' accident and preoccupation. I beg you to forgive me. His quick eye had seen the sensitive blood mount into Angelo's face, betraying the wound that had been inflicted. The sting of the slight had gone deep, but the apology was so prompt and so evidently sincere that the hurt was almost immediately healed, and a forgiving smile testified to the kindly judge that all was well again. Concealed behind Angelo's modest and unassuming exterior, and unsuspected by any but his intimates, was a lofty pride, a pride of almost abnormal proportions indeed, and this rendered him ever the prey of slights, and although they were almost always imaginary ones, they hurt none the less on that account. By ill fortune, Judge Driscoll had happened to touch his sorest point, i.e., his conviction that his brother's presence was welcomer everywhere than his own, that he was often invited out of mere courtesy, where only his brother was wanted, and that, in a majority of cases, he would not be included in an invitation 
if he could be left out without offense. A sensitive nature like this is necessarily subject to moods, moods which traverse the whole gamut of feeling, moods which know all the climes of emotion, from the sunny heights of joy to the black abysses of despair. At times, in his seasons of deepest depressions, Angelo almost wished that he and his brother might become segregated from each other, and be separate individuals, like other men. But, of course, as soon as his mind cleared and these diseased imaginings passed away, he shuddered at the repulsive thought, and earnestly prayed that it might visit him no more. To be separate, and as other men are, how awkward it would seem! How unendurable! What would he do with his hands, his arms? How would his legs feel? How odd and strange and grotesque every action, attitude, movement, gesture would be! To sleep by himself, eat by himself, walk by himself! How lonely, how unspeakably lonely! No, no, any fate but that! In every way and from every point the idea was revolting. This was, of course, natural. To have felt otherwise would have been unnatural. He had known no life but a combined one. He had been familiar with it from his birth. He was not able to conceive of any other as being agreeable or even bearable. To him, in the privacy of his secret thoughts, all other men were monsters, deformities, and during three-fourths of his life their aspect had filled him with what promised to be an unconquerable aversion but at eighteen his eye began to take note of female beauty, and little by little undefined longings grew up in his heart, under whose softening influences the old stubborn aversion gradually diminished and finally disappeared. Men were still monstrosities to him, still deformities, and in his sober moments he had no desire to be like them, but their strange and unsocial and uncanny construction was no longer offensive to him. This had been a hard day for him, physically and mentally. He had been called in the morning before he had quite slept off the effects of the liquor which Luigi had drunk, and so, for the first half-hour, had had the seedy feeling and languor, the brooding depression, the cobwebby mouth and druggy taste that come of dissipation, and are so ill a preparation for bodily or intellectual activities. The long, violent strain of the reception had followed and this had been followed in turn by the dreary sight-seeing, the judge's wearying explanations and laudations of the sights, and the stupefying clamor of the dogs. As a congruous conclusion, a fitting end, his feelings had been hurt, a slight had been put upon him. He would have been glad to forego dinner and betake himself to rest and sleep, but he held his peace and said no word, for he knew his brother Luigi was fresh, unweary, full of life, spirit, energy. He would have scoffed at the idea of wasting valuable time on a bed or sofa, and would have refused permission. End of chapter 3